Ah, hello. Good morning. Good morning. Um, it's there's a there's a nip in the air now, isn't there? I always feel that October is the moment at which autumn really does start to happen. Um, and in fact, last night I was invited uh, to New Haven to my first uh, bonfire and fireworks session of the season. And what I actually discovered. Um, last year from my friend who lives in New Haven is that actually in East Sussex there is this tradition across all the small towns and villages to have these bonfire night societies and these big displays and bonfires and I just it just occurred to me that you know Brighton this big city we're like an island in the middle of this whole other culture that's happening around us that we're that we don't know about and that we don't follow um, and I felt really privileged to sort of be invited out and to be part of a different community celebrating something that is really important um, out there um, so yes yeah, so it is season of mist and mellow fruitfulness but also as Frankie said Black History Month October is Black History Month now, this is something that may or may not have cropped up on your radar. Here in the UK, every year since 1987, October has been Black History Month. But it was not always widely acknowledged or celebrated. But this changed in 2020. Following the death of George Floyd in 2020, when we were all in lockdown, there was a sudden surge in interest um, as many institutions and companies uh, decided to, to champion this festival, to bring it out and to display what I suppose they hope and believe to be their anti-racist credentials. Now, Black History Month began in the USA, where it is now known as African American History Month. And it first came about in 1926, which is quite far back, through the work of a man called Carter G. Woodson. He was an African, African American who recognized that there was a problem with not having the story of his community widely acknowledged in mainstream culture and history. And this idea was then picked up by a man called Akiyaba Ade Sebo, a journalist who had Ghanaian heritage, who was living and working in Britain. And in 1987, he observed that Britain had not yet incorporated all of its histories into the cultural fabric of the nation. So the intention of Black History Month, from where it started in the US to here, where it is now celebrated, also in Canada and Ireland, is that it celebrates positive stories from the African diaspora. Stories that were, and sadly continue to be, marginalized, ignored, or erased. But can a month really do justice to the contributions of those of African descent? The contribution that has been made to US history, to British history, to world history. Of course not. It's too big a history to be contained in 30 days. And it is as equally important as white history and therefore should be present all the time, running through the consciousness of our nation, just as white history does. So why do we have it? Because sadly, still today, despite all the really good and important changes and positive steps that have happened, the cultural life of our nation does not provide these stories or teach us about the rich and essential contributions that those of African, Asian and indigenous heritage have made to British life and Britain's economic success. 
I was at school in the 1980s. I know you can hardly believe it. Um, and I don't recall ever learning about the contributions of people who looked like me. And still today, only 1% of GCSE students across the country study an author of color. And where primary schools have not consciously pursued a policy of auditing their picture books and reading material for diversity, then the majority of black and racially minoritized children will not see themselves, their families, or their heritage represented and interwoven into the fabric of history and culture. And white children will not be able to get that full breadth and vision of this diverse world and their place in it. And that's just me talking about books and literature. Unfortunately, it's a similar picture across most subjects taught within our schools. This imbalance in appreciation for the stories of humanity is one of the ways in which racism reveals itself. I prefer to think of Black History Month not as a fixed one-off event, but as a jumping off point for renewing my commitment to tackling racism. Racism is a social justice issue and dismantling social injustice to me is very much a Christian issue. Now, the idea that dismantling social injustice is a Christian issue shouldn't feel particularly controversial. Uh, Proverbs 31, for instance, is one of the many teachings in the Bible that prompts us to act on injustice. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. I did a quick Google search of the word justice in the Bible, and it reveals that justice is mentioned, or things relating to justice, are mentioned over a thousand times. And there is actually a poverty and justice Bible, uh, which has verses highlighted that refer to um, justice issues. And over 2,000 verses are highlighted, and they show God's heart for the poor, for the marginalized, and the forgotten. The stories of Jesus in the New Testament are in large part about him spending time with those who experience marginalization and rejection and standing up to those who have social, cultural, political, and religious power. And yet, wanting to put social justice at the heart of my faith provokes in me a feeling of disquiet. Somehow, I've internalized an idea that being a good Christian doesn't rock the boat and push for difficult and uncomfortable conversations. And talking about race is so uncomfortable. The anxiety about what words to use, the fear of being thought a bad person, of ending up in a heated row, the pain of looking at relationship damage inflicted through casual and unconsciously racist thoughts and remarks. But one of the first principles of anti-racism work is that you have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. We are not a society that has successfully integrated the troublesome aspects of our colonial and empire-building past and the legacy of racist thinking into our public or private discourse. And consequently, we are still a society that finds conversations about racism difficult. A society still shocked when the reality of racism reveals itself in our police force, in our healthcare, 
in our sports institutions, in our schools, in our churches. And it's not just racism. When it comes to uncomfortable conversations, is there any area of social justice involving identity that doesn't call ripples of disagreement in church circles? Feminism, having women priests and bishops, homophobia, the fundamental humanity of the LGBTQ community and their right to be fully participating children of God, social class and elitism, the growing gulf between those who are offered every opportunity while others are trapped in poverty. And yet we have the ultimate role model in how God wants us to be with each other here on earth. Jesus was committed to staying in the places of discomfort in order to challenge the perceived wisdom of his day, to bring hope and to draw out the humanity of each individual and show how that humanity was and is a reflection of God. So this morning, I would like to look at how adopting an anti-racist approach in, our, in ourselves and being concerned for all forms of social justice is not an optional extra in the pursuit of the kingdom life, but an essential component of it. To look at how biblical commandments compel us to be active workers in the task of social justice. So I want to take as a starting point a very short and seemingly simple passage, Matthew 22, 36, 40. It might be coming up. Okay. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, I heard this passage being read at the end of the summer, just as I was preparing to start my new uh, role, uh, my new work role as an, as an, um, in anti-racist education. And as I listened to the short talk around this passage and thought about this primary commandment to love God, I had a question for myself. Was I able to stay passionately focused on God and passionately focused on anti-racism and social justice at the same time. Because you see, racism and all forms of social injustice, they really do make me feel quite angry. I did not want to fall into the trap of thinking that being a Christian is primarily about working for social justice or doing good deeds but nor did I want to fall into a mindset of seeing social justice issues as something primarily political and separate from the concerns of faith. The command to love God with heart, mind and soul encapsulates the first three commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make thee any graven images. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord God in vain. We understand from this that we are not to worship things or place things on pedestals, anything other than God. So getting caught up in a cause or an idea can become a false idol. 
If we let our passion for that cause become more of a focus in our lives than God's word and love. So how did Jesus' words in Matthew 22 help me to understand that seeking justice in the form of seeking to actively tackle racism is completely in line with loving God and indeed is actually an essential aspect of loving God? What does it look like to love God with all our hearts, mind, soul and strength and also to love our neighbour as ourselves in relation to social justice? So let's start with loving our neighbour, the other. In 1 John 4.20, he says, Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. How do we express our love for others? Well, let's start think by thinking about those that we find it easy and instinctive to love. When we're at our best, how do we want to behave? When we love someone, we are eager to know them, to know them better, to hear their stories, to hear their perspectives, to keep an open mind to those stories and to allow those stories to fascinate us. So from an anti-racist point of view, we need to be actively seeking to know the stories of those who do not think or believe like us. When we love someone, we put them first, being prepared to do things which will make them feel good and make them feel seen and wanted, even though this might inconvenience us. So from an anti-racist and social justice perspective, we can use our voice and position to elevate those who experience racism, to put our own pride and fear aside and champion their ideas and their thoughts and their stories. When we love someone, we let them know how valued they are and declare the value that they bring to our lives. We appreciate their unique gifts and perspectives and ways of doing things by letting ourselves be influenced by them. From a social justice perspective, people feel valued when they are listened to. We can show humility in letting their perspective alter our perspective. And when we love someone and become aware that there is something bothering them and that is hurting them, then we respond by making an effort to find out what that is to support them with it and repair any damage that we ourselves might have caused. None of us like to have our mistakes pointed out or to admit that we may have caused hurt. But as Christians, we know that recognition and repentance are key to our relationship with God. And being a good ally is having the capacity to stand with someone in informed solidarity. So love, loving our neighbour, Loving anybody, love is very active. It is not passive. Loving our neighbour isn't just something we say before we then get on with living our lives as we always have done. Loving our neighbour means being inconvenienced and disrupted. It requires effort. Being active in love is not always easy to do when we are close to an individual and our love for them flows instinctively. So how on earth can we embody these things for our neighbours? for the whole world. I feel that this is where the Christian message is unique and special because Jesus tells us firmly that it is possible. It is possible to love the others in this world and that with God's help, we can do it. Jesus tells us, my command is this, to love others as I have loved you. 
Jesus loves us completely and without caveat. And we are to love Jesus as we are to love God with all our minds, heart, and soul. So this then is the model of how we are to love others with all our mind, heart, and soul. And if this is how we are to love others, then how can we not make social justice a primary concern in our faith life? I don't mean that everyone should immediately go out and join an organization, march in the streets, or start tweeting, although, of course, if those are your preferred methods, then go ahead. Social justice can start quietly in our hearts, our hearts placed before God and examined in the light of his love. Romans 12 do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Well, there are many patterns of thinking and behaving in our society. Some of them are so entrenched that they are outside of our awareness. We may consider that our thoughts, our behavior, our, our ideas are normal or natural, and not recognize that sometimes they are conforming to patterns that are not in line with God's will. Knowledge is powerful. We don't know what we don't know. So in social justice matters, we need to go and find out. We need to read books, watch programs, watch videos, listen to talks and podcasts. In this Black History Month, why not make a commitment to go on the St. Matthias website? We have a resources page. And in this month, commit to reading a book that's recommended there, watching a podcast, watching a film. There is such a wealth of reliable and thoughtful work out there that can help us renew our minds about what it means to be anti-racist. We can bring these new thoughts and ideas, no matter how troubling or upsetting, before God and let his justice and love reform us. With renewed minds and hearts, we can move through the world actively living out social justice in the places where we are. We can, as it says in Isaiah, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed. Back in Matthew 22, Jesus said, everything in the prophets and the law, everything then in the Bible, rests and makes sense in the context of those two commandments. To love God with everything we have, heart, soul, mind, intellect, emotion, action, and to love others with that same commitment. It's quite a big ask. And of course, being human, we fall short. But we know that God's love and forgiveness will follow us for all the days of our lives and that we can and must keep trying. This is how we do kingdom work. I'm just going to pray for us. Lord God, we present our hearts to you now and ask you to help us open up our hearts in truth. Help us to be brave and to be inquisitive as we open our hearts to our neighbors and to all those in the world, the ones who are close by and all those that we may never meet. Help us to focus our minds, our hearts and souls on your perfect love and to emulate that love. In this month, we pray for all those who still live with the scars and traumas of historic and present racial injustice. We pray for your power and support for them and for us 
as we move forward. Amen. <laughs>